This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure. The guys at Zero Procure have walked a mile in the shoes of many of our listeners from the world of hospitality. In fact, they have over 70 years of collective experience of working in the hospitality industry, and that'll probably be me getting into trouble for making them feel old. I really recommend speaking to them to ensure you're working with the right suppliers at the right price. There's zero cost involved. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Simon Drake, General Manager of one of London's most exciting 2022 openings, The Other House. Coming up on today's show... Simon tells us his preferred method of travel. It's probably quicker if I just take the speedboat across the bay to you. Phil beds in, ready for one of Simon's epic stories. I'm leaning forward, Simon. And Simon tells us how he likes to spend his time. I found myself spending an hour and a half plumping cushions and tying curtains back. All that and so much more as Simon talks us through his story and journey to date. In addition, he gives us some insight into what we can expect at the other house, undoubtedly one of London's most exciting new openings for 2022. Simon's journey is undoubtedly an all roads lead here story and he's got some cracking anecdotes throughout our chat. A huge thank you to him for his time and giving me the chance to see the other house in the flesh. We're here each week telling the stories of the amazing people within hospitality, so please don't forget to give us a like, share and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Now today we're doing this in person and I've been super excited to get today's guest on for such a long time. We've actually been trying to do this for about three or four months. But uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show, Simon Drake. Thank you very much indeed, Phil. And you're right, it has literally been that long. It's been almost since the beginning of the year. We've been going backwards and forwards on this. But it's almost so, like you're busy or something. It's like, I've, it's like I've had something to do. So, no, uh, delighted to finally see you again in person and do this. Yes, absolutely. And how are you? Uh, good. Week one of opening the new property as, you know, as we're sat in now. So you have a little look around. But yeah, it's week one. And as everyone that's done a new opening knows what that week's like it's uh it's grin and bear it calm for, for and collected completely chilled relaxed <laughs> it's all fine yeah well i i cannot tell you how appreciative i am of you taking time out at this particular juncture to to spend time to talk about your your story today but just for those listening because we're sat in one of your rooms in mm. the other house and actually i probably should have been clear with that at the beginning you are actually you you tell us what what do you do so my title uh, is general manager of the other house my role is to open all of the other houses as they come online through the project management phase so this property is 30 percent open now by september we will have all of the property online and my focus will shift uh, later this year and early next year to our next property so my role will, in essence, grow to be more of a group and then global GM position, allowing my director of operations and my hotel managers that I'm bringing into the business to move into a more senior role underneath. Fantastic. Uh, sounds super exciting. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about the other house in more depth later in the conversation. Uh, but just describe to us where we're sat at the moment. So the room or the location? <laughs> All of the above. So um, the other house, South Kensington, 
Um, it used to be Harrington Hall Hotel um, on Harrington Gardens, uh, right behind the Millennium Gloucester, next door to the Bentley, which you can see out the window. And these are our club flats. So it's not a hotel product. It's a hospitality product and it's a new sector of the industry. And I'm, I'm sure, as you said, we'll get to that. Um, and because of that, we don't have bedrooms, so to speak. We have all, we have club flats. Uh, the ethos behind the business is that people will stay for a longer period of time than the transient business that you get in most hotels. Yeah. Um, so I have already greeted a gentleman this morning that's checking in for 186 nights. Wow. A lady arrived yesterday for 105 nights. Nice. Um, and we've done a quote for six rooms this morning, all for 12 months as a package deal. So it's it's slightly different to what you would call the run-of-the-mill hotel product. Yeah, sounds it. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that for sure. But before all of that, there is obviously uh, a little bit of a story behind how you got here. How did you get into hospitality in the first place and take us all the way back to the beginning of when you kind of first had that spark? So uh, at the age of 16 or the age of 15, uh, my mother said to me, you need to get another part-time job because I was I was lifeguarding because I swam competitively. Right. So I was doing lifeguarding. Oh, I never knew that about you. Yeah. So I was, um, you could tell it by the physique. <laughs> so I was, I was, I'm laughing because of the stress. I'm saying uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was lifeguarding back when I was sort of 14, 15, um, cash in hand, that whole two, three pounds an hour job. You know, it was a case of saving up money to buy a bicycle so I could cycle to the pool and back. Right. Um, and then that becomes saving up money to drive, to buy a car so I could drive to the pool and back. And, and I realized that I wasn't going to make enough money out of just doing the lifeguarding because it was very casual. So my, my mother said to me at the time, you know, your uncle who's got a hotel in Farnborough at the time, um, I won't tell you what decade this is, um, said to me, um, she said, you know, maybe she can do some casual shifts there. So I literally went and started doing some washing up um, and I started doing some stuff in the kitchen, the chopping veg, working at that sort of very junior, junior commie level. Yeah. Um, and I got to the stage where I was able to buy my first car outright purely through the money that I was making through getting a job in hospitality. And, and my uncle at the time, um, who was owning the product, uh, owned and ran the product, um, he was driving around in a very swish red Bentley convertible. And I thought to myself at the time, well, if you can get to that stage from working in the hotel industry, maybe I should give this a bit of a go. Um, how wrong I was. Um, but <laughs> still I, no, time. I, I thought still there's still time. time, you know, I, I could probably get the tires. But no, so I, I thought to myself, you know, this, this could be the opportunity. And I loved how I would see people interacting with people and you never know who's going to work, walk in the front door and you don't know the story behind the guest that's coming in the front door, where they've come from, where they're going to, the reason they're coming to you and building that whole picture of people that you can't really get in hardly any industry. Um, and I thought that was it. And that was the beginning of the journey. And I went from there to Marriott. Um, I worked. That's at, a decent start. That was a, that was a really decent start. So it was one of the first Marriott country clubs down in Hampshire place called Meon Valley yeah and um, it had been trading as a best western if I remember correctly um, and they had the changeover and this was back in the day when Marriott was part of Whitbread so I was very excited when I started and one of the first things I got given was my Whitbread discount card and all I thought to myself is half price at TGI Fridays yeah. <laughs> I have literally made it um, and that was uh, that was back at sort of 17 18 years old working on reception shifts and then spent more and more time with them for a over a couple of Christmases um, where I got promoted into a management role um, and I was one of the youngest HODs for Marriott in the UK at the time 
And then the ops director who I worked for at the time, she she left and went to work for McDonald Hotels. Right. And that, when she approached me and said, come join me, was my first foray into McDonald Hotels. Um, so I went and joined her at the Wessex in Winchester, uh, which was a very quintessential um, ex forte post house, one of McDonald's properties that they took over as as with that changeover. And it was it was my first experience of this is how afternoon tea is served. And right. This is the quintessential expectation of people finishing at the cathedral next door and then coming in for drinks and that whole slightly different city transient trade as opposed to the country club, which I'd been at with Marriott, which was all golfers and all people coming for long leisure weekends. Um, so it gave me it gave me a really good grounding, but I knew that I knew that staying just in food and beverage wasn't going to be the the long term goal for me. I had the opportunity to try different stuff with McDonald, and I stayed I stayed at that property for a little time to try understanding the room side of the business even more in detail because I'd only touched on it at Marriott with the reception, and I really wanted to understand things a little bit different because I thought. She said to me at the time, um, she said, you know, if you're going to get to a stage where you're in a GM position, you need to really understand all around business, not just food and beverage and not just reception, but the whole element of how the rooms are managed, front of house, back of house. Um, so I was fortunate enough whilst working with her to get some time to move around a little bit and try other areas. And then I took a, um, a bit of a, a career shift by ending up in uh, within a year later working in Bermuda. Um, it's a natural transition. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, everyone said to me, if you've never worked abroad and you're in the hospitality industry, you've got to take advantage of it. So I remember thinking, right, I want a change and I want a change of scenery. And it was quite an extreme change of scenery. I went through a process where I remember, I remember vividly my friends saying to me, why did you choose Bermuda? You know, how long did that process take? And I said, I literally spun a globe, stuck my finger on it. And I thought, oh, it's the Caribbean. That'll do it. And then zoomed in and I thought, Bermuda, I hadn't even thought of that in the slightest. Yeah. So I, that night, I think I emailed about five or six different properties on the island. And I said, look, I'm looking to come and work for a year or two years. Um, and one of the one of the properties came back um, straight away and said, you know, we've got a couple of vacancies, um, food and beverage manager kind of roles. If you're interested, we should have a Skype interview. And then another property, Skype. Skype, that was back in there. Teams and all that kind of thing certainly didn't exist. No, I know. Um, and then, uh, I mean, this was so long ago, it was pretty much dial-up. Um, yeah, so, well, I mighty have fallen. So, the, uh, Skype, uh, yes. what are they doing now? Well, well, Microsoft bought them and then they balls it up, didn't they? That's... It's, it's kind of ticking over. Someone sent me a Skype email, the Skype invitation the other day, and I thought, I literally don't even know how to log on through that now. Right. Um, but yeah, then another business on the island came back and said we'd be interested as well. So I ended up with two Skype interviews back to back, sort of 24 hours later. Both properties then came back the day after that and said we'd like to have a second stage interview. And the first one said so much so that we'll fly you over for an interview this weekend. This was on a Wednesday and they paid for plane, they paid for a plane ticket for Friday. And I flew out on Friday night. I was in Bermuda on Saturday. Fantastic. I met... One hotel Saturday morning, the other hotel Saturday afternoon. I flew home Sunday night, and 72 hours later, I'd sold my car, packed everything up, and I was back in Bermuda. And that is the beginning of the story in Bermuda. Working at a resort in Bermuda called Nine Beaches, which no longer exists, was an eco-resort. So all of the 
cabanas, not hotel bedrooms, cabanas on stilts were over the water. Oh, lovely. It sounds like paradise, but let me get to it. Um, so all of these <laughs> cabanas... Like a story here. Yeah, so all of these cabanas dotted over the water and, you know, they had perspex, half perspex floors so you could get up in the morning and as you put your feet down on the perspex, you look down and the fish are swimming underneath you with balconies on the back that you could sit on and feed the fish over, etc. Mm. And it was paradise if you were a guest. Right. I I could sense there was a but (laughs) coming. For the first few months, it was that surreal, oh my God, I live here because I lived on property. Um, You get a tax-free wage and you live on property and you think to yourself, good Lord, I'm going to put a whacking load of money away and go home with a house deposit. This is incredible. Yeah. And then you, you start to live your life on Bermuda and you need to obviously live like the Bermudians do. Um, and that is, you know, $12 for a coffee. Right. Which is a tenner every time you go out for a coffee or £15 for a glass of wine in a restaurant or a bar. And an average check in a casual bar or a carriage restaurant, including dinner, is 70 to £80 pounds per person. Yeah. Because everything's obviously purchased into the island. Now, cost of living is higher and it's got by far and away the best health service in the world. And people say, but on a on a little Caribbean island, how can that be so? But the percentage of the tax allowance from big corporate companies that are based on the island, which is why they base themselves there, is paid directly into the health service right. and into the schools, etc. So it's got the most incredible westernized state-of-the-art hospitals and colleges and schools with incredible doctors that are paid more, that have moved from New York or even from London over to live on the island because of the level of pay and the quality of life yeah. and the environment in which they get to work in. So, yeah, I mean, you are selling it well. So that side <laughs> is fantastic. But then there's those elements about island life which you kind of think to yourself, I hadn't quite thought this through. I remember going to the post office a week before my mother's birthday to send something home and the sign hung on the door simply said, gone to barbecue at the beach. <laughs> So I went back the next day and the sign on the door, I kid you not, said, felt ill from the barbecue on the beach, sleeping it off. And that was that was the local post office. So right. you know, when mother's parcels then posted two days too late, it doesn't get back to the UK. And I remember the bank, as we called it, and I say that with tongue in cheek because the bank was a sort of mini Winnebago caravan that would drive around to your <laughs> side of the island of where you would be able to take cash out from them. And I remember going at the end of the day when this Winnebago was parked there and saying to the woman, can I take out $500 for this evening? And she said, we've only got $200 left. So can you give, Can you come back and get the rest in a couple of days' time? And you know, well, no, it, this is for tonight. This is for dinner tonight. Um, and it was that kind of experience of the relaxation of island life taken to the extreme. And whilst the level of services and quality on the island is incredible if you're in need, when you're just trying to live a daily life, there's a certain degree of a hindrance. Right. And I found a lot of, you know, going out for dinner in restaurants and it being packed with tourists. And I say that because, you know, when a cruise ship arrives on the island, of which there's one or two a day, the population of the country increases by 10%. Mm. So you can go out for dinner in the evening and the, the entire restaurant just be full of two, 300 American tourists that have just emptied off the cruise ship next door. And it's it gets to the stage where you think to yourself, I'm almost living in that Disneyland kind of environment. Yeah. You never know what it's going to be like when you go out this evening. Yeah. And because of that, I thought to myself, actually, I'm 
I'm probably done. I've done I've done my year here. I've got my experience. But we taught um, you some lessons. I knew that within the next 30 days, there was going to be quite a significant hurricane. I thought this was the it's right time. to go. <laughs> this is the right time to, to pack up. Now, whilst I was there, there was a, a fairly small little expat community between some of the hotels. And I remember one day calling across to Cambridge Beaches, which was the property next door on behalf of my chef, and speaking to the sous chef there and saying to him, I need to borrow some French fries. I've got a huge American party tonight and we haven't got any French fries. And no matter where the Americans will go in the world, they're still going to want French fries. Yep. Um, and it's part of the demand. So can I come across and get some? And they were like, yeah, absolutely, come across. And I realised the guy that I was talking to had quite a strong English accent. And I said to him, can I just ask, where are you from? And he said, I'm from London. And I said, oh, amazing. You're actually the first Brit that I've met on the island. Because I was living in an expat community on site with Canadians and Americans and South Africans and Chinese, but I hadn't actually met a Brit on site. Mm. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll come down and collect. He said, do you want to drive around and pick it up? And I said, well, it's probably quicker if I just take the speedboat across the bay to you. Oh, of course. course you do. Yeah. So I jumped, I went down and we had boat boys and the boat boys would, would shoot out the speedboats to the mega yachts and bring people in for dinner whilst the mega yachts were floating sort of half a mile off. Yeah. So I took one of the six speedboats and we shot across to the, the bay. Um, and again, it probably was quicker than, than taking the island road round to it. And this this guy in Chef Whites came strolling down to the beach with a huge bag of french fries under each arm and introduced himself as gary and said hey it's so good to meet you and i said where are you from and we engaged in very brief chit chat over the side of the boat whilst my french fries were slowly melting um and then i jumped <laughs> back in the boat and we shot back over and you know the evening dinner went really well and the long and short of it is gary's now my head chef here at the other house oh my god so that's brilliant so we've gone crazy full circle and and he's now here. Um, but as as we got as our friendship grew and we got to know each other more and more on the island, I said to him, um, we were having barbecues, and I said one evening, I think I might, I think I might, I think I might go in the next couple of weeks. And he said, Are you serious? Back home? And I said, Yeah, I think I think my time's done. And we know there's a hurricane coming. We know that it's going to shut up for the winter season anyway. I've had uh, as uh, not as much as I can take, but I've I've certainly had my fill of island life. I could do with a bit of reality. Yeah. And he said, do You know what? I'll come home on the same flight. And so we flew home together. And um, we flew home, sat next to each other on the plane. And, and I remember getting off the plane at Heathrow. Um, no, it was Gatwick. It was that was right. We flew back into Gatwick. And I remember him saying to me, hey, if you ever need a chef, give me a shout. Um, and he went off and did various things. And I've always noted on his career. And we've stayed in touch through Facebook. Um, and he most recently was um, one of the senior chefs at the Landmark. So I paid him a visit and said to him, do you fancy a complete change in direction? come work with me again and mm. he started here sort of three four months ago wow so that that was bermuda and then i came back to the uk um, and i thought to myself you know i need to have a really logical thought process i came back to the uk with a certain amount of money saved nowhere near as much as one might have expected um because yeah, the, i can relate to that because those 40 dollar trips to new york which is only two hours away for long weekends and staying at the plaza yeah, um, yeah. Burnt, that's not burnt, $40. Burned through, a lot, <laughs> burnt through a lot of that. Um, and we did that once a month. Yeah. Um, because you can. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like jumping on a bus. It's a two-hour flight or three-hour flight out to New York yeah. from where you are. So you take advantage of it as many times as you possibly can. Totally. I totally relate. I, I, as you know, I started my career on cruise ships. And yeah. uh, I always had the intention after I'd climbed the rungs a couple where disposal income was strong, 
thinking you're looking at how much you spend you know, how much you spend on board you think I can easily save a load of money Absolutely. and then you wake up in Cape Town and you're like I must go and see what Cape Town's got to offer mm-hmm. a couple of hundred quid later yep. so on and, and so forth and you know what there's no part of me that regrets it oh not in the slightest the being in that position at a younger age to have enough disposable income to do New York to its fullest once a month yeah. for nine, ten months was was just, it was incredible. Yeah. What was great about it was I experienced, we stayed in a different hotel every time, so I experienced some really fantastic properties in New York and it solidified in my mind, I'm going back to London and it has to be working in London. Yeah, got um, the city I bug. I needed the city bug. So I came back to the UK and that didn't work out because there wasn't anything that I could get into in London at the time. Right. So I came back and I joined Thistle Hotels. Um, in a temporary role over at Brands Hatch um, as, an, yeah. as an ops director. Yeah. I was working with a GM then that moved to reopen the Grand in Bristol for Thistle. Um, and he said to me, he said, you know, come with me is my number two. Um, so I then relocated to Bristol for him. And then I, I, we, I was at the time living in and out of a friend's place near Brighton, um, which I'd completely fallen in love with. And I thought, you know what? Bristol's great, but Brighton's the direction I want to be in. And it's the place where I really can see myself putting down some roots and that whole South Coast area. And having been a, you know, having grown up in Hampshire, not far from home, yeah. it's, it's a good move. So I got, um, I, I spoke to a headhunter for the first time who is still going. Damn those headhunters. Damn those headhunters. Old school headhunter. And he said to me, look, I've, I've got a role at the Brighton Met for Hilton, are you interested? And I said, oh, yeah, no, I, I'd certainly think about it. And he said, like, I need to make you aware of the kind of volume, though. And I said, well, what do you mean by volume? And he said, well, 13 to 16 million a year just in food and beverage. But because they do dinners for a 1,000 sat down, that's that's how it's able to generate this kind of revenue. Yeah. And I thought, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember back to... to my old director of ops who I went to with Winchester and she said to me, always tick as many boxes on your CV as possible. If you can get volume, if you can get five star, if you can get international, if you can get luxury lifestyle, if you can get country house, whatever you can do to tick as many boxes on your CV, always try and make yourself that appealing to a future employer because they will scan to see if there is something comparable on your CV to essentially what they have already. Yeah. So it makes sense. That's very wise advice. Yeah. And, and the idea of doing volume from having come with the Caribbean, which is quite relaxed, the idea of doing volume, I thought, yeah, no, this this will be a good one. Oh, my God, what a learning experience. I um, only I think, imagine. I think on my first weekend, on my first weekend, we did 3,000 dinner covers over my first weekend of arriving <laughs> with a casual banqueting team of 250 and a permanent team of 100. Um, and that was literally my first weekend arriving in Brighton. But I loved it. It was, you know, part of that whole original Hilton 4D structure where it was GM yourself, director of business development um, and the director of finance. And as a 4D structure, you know, you, you, you ran an element of the product, but it was incredible. You know, one of the biggest feats was 11 months worth of work on the Labour Party conference at the time where Gordon Brown was prime minister. OK. Um, and they create. Now you're aging yourself. Uh, now we can we can figure that, that out now. Um, <laughs> so at the time when Gordon Brown was prime minister and essentially they created an island site. So they seal off within half a mile of the building all the way around. And it becomes as secure as if you were trying to go through security at Heathrow. You know, there's sniffer dogs, and police horses, yeah, and sure. security, and you can't take water to work. 
because it's a liquid, etc. And it says secure is going through security ether. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we lived for the 10 days whilst they were there. But it was 11 months of planning. I had somewhere in the region of five or 600 people working for me over that week because Hilton pulled people from many other significant properties like the Birmingham Met and the London Met, all with that conference experience. And you could have 20 to 30 different sessions going on throughout the building at any one time. You know, we would do dinner for a thousand in one room, whilst dinner for five hundred is in another room, whilst dinner for seven hundred and fifty is in another room, whilst two hundred people are sitting down for a, for a, for a hot fork buffet in another room, and yeah. that was all at the same time. So having banqueting kitchens with thirty five, forty chefs in for the first time, seeing it of that kind of volume really opened my eyes, and it was it was a good move, and I was very enriching. It was yeah, I mean, seeing that kind of level of business was was a real eye-opening experience yeah same again on the on cruise ships we used to have on P&O we had a thousand plus passengers slash guests on board notwithstanding all the crew meals etc etc and the first time I stepped into the galley as a green assistant food and beverage manager and two sittings you know where you're basically churning out no we were doing 1800 passengers so like 900 Mm -hmm. For in a two-hour window, and then another nine hundred straight mm-hmm. after. I, you know, it's just a well-oiled machine. It's they, everybody knows their job. Everybody knows what they've got to do and by when. Yeah. Sometimes it breaks down. Absolutely, it's inevitable. But you know, yeah. you all pull together occasionally. And there's, there was always this wonderful divide between the chefs and the front of house. Yeah. Don't know if "wonderful" is the right word, but it was always their fault. Whoever Absolutely. you know, the other one. Always. And we were always the the people stuck in the middle going. You know, we don't care whose fault it is. Yeah. We take ownership of this yeah. and we make sure it doesn't happen again. No, I think I think from my perspective, what I took away from working in that kind of environment with volume is how you deal with the unexpected. So having, uh, having a company that are doing a dinner for a thousand in one room, have a full indoor go-kart dodgems set up with life-size <laughs> go-karts and dodgems in the other function suite next door need to be broken down overnight ready for a dinner or ready for a boxing dinner in that same room for a thousand the next day having to manage that as you said well-oiled machine of you know it's not just about i can do that because the the dinner happens between 12 and 2 it's actually if the dinner or the lunch happens between 12 and 2 how long does it take to break down dinner for a thousand and turn it into dinner for 500 with the full boxing ring set up in the middle of it whilst dismantling a life-size dodgems yeah in another room at the same time. So that whole management of time was something that I really learned there better than I've ever had to. Yeah. But, but, but it stood you in good stead. It did stand me in really good stead. But it made me... Uh, I was reminded by a friend of mine who said to me, I thought you were coming back to work in London. And I thought that has to be my next move. Yeah. So I um, I applied for a couple of roles in London and I went through the interview process with a few of them. And the one that really whet my appetite was with Taj Hotels working at what was at the time the Crown Plaza St. James and 51 Buckingham Gate. Yeah. So I went in as director of food and beverage and it was an incredible experience working at Red Star at the same time. And it was obviously the first time that we met. Uh, Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I had that in the back of my mind that that whenever we get to this point in the story, this was the point where, where we met. So that is probably now 10 plus years ago. Yes, this was 2012. Right, so, yeah. yeah. Ten so years ten, ago. ten years ago, and I, I remember being one of those damned headhunters. I had a role on at the time, approached you for the role, mm-hmm. 
And you very kindly invited myself and my colleague, who's now my business partner, yeah. over to the restaurant for lunch. And that I'd, that was the first experience that I'd ever had where a candidate, in adverted commas, had flipped it on its head. Rather than us doing a formal interview, why don't you just come and see what we get up to? Yeah. And we can have an interview over lunch. And I thought, I'm game for that. I'll take that for sure. And um, I've always remembered that really, really fondly. And obviously, it's the first time that, that we met and we got to know each other uh, a lot better since then. But I always, always remember as well that you were, I don't know why this stuck in my head. Yeah, you no, were, I mean, I, th- I can rem- I remember it vividly. It was, it was very much a process of, I was considering other options. I mean, I'd been there a little while at that point. And I yeah. just thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to work with a slightly smaller headhunter, people that are going to look specifically, then... I'm surely, five foot ten. Surely, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, surely they need to be able to see what I'm doing. You know, I'd had experiences of working with other agencies in London, and and I, I can't abide that whole feeling where people are, are literally CV. You know, yeah. I've been through a process where people have tried to send me CVs of candidates, and I've said to them, "Have you met this person?" Mm. And the response is, "Oh, we've had a quick chat over the phone," or "No, it's been all done by email." That impersonal oh, approach. That impersonal approach to recruitment is nothing that I will ever encourage anyone to work with. No, I couldn't agree more. The Could opportunity more. the opportunity of having you come in for a chat and actually this is what I do will allow you to talk about me as a candidate far better than anything I can write an email to you. Yeah. You know, coming in and seeing how my team interact with me is always going to be a better sales piece from my perspective. Yeah. And that's that's why I went down that process. But you, you you taught me something that day because I'd never really fully thought it through around, I'm always asking people to come into the office to have an interview, but these people are busy as hell. So actually, it a lot of the time for me, it does make more sense to go and visit people wherever they are. Maybe sometimes it's not appropriate to do that on property, but... If they're just going around the corner as opposed to taking 45 minutes to get across town, mm-hmm. then totally makes sense. Yeah, and particularly when it's a product as unique as 51. Yeah, um, and at that point I hadn't seen it before. So that, you know, it served and, and it's multiple because purposes. It, because it's, you know, it's, it's a 90-bedroom, all-suites facility dealing with the highest quality calibre of clientele in London with a very, very significant ADR. You know, at any one time there's... 10 to 15 people from different Middle Eastern royal families staying in the building. So you're dealing with a very significant level of quality and demand. Mm. And then you've got the Crown Plaza St. James operating 50 yards away from, from the other side of the courtyard with Mr. and Mrs. Jones who've saved up their own money personally to find the hotel on whatever online travel agency website uh, names not to be mentioned at this point Indeed. because yeah. they are the scourge um, <laughs> and booking through an online travel agency website and then coming into London to spend you know their own hard earned well fought for money mm. and so you're different, dealing with two different levels and people always used to say to me well you know you obviously must have to put a lot more service into that the red star status you know we had five red star status at um at 51 and this is the time when it was in the top two hotels on TripAdvisor in London and I'd say to people well no because Mr and Mrs Jones who are travelling into London their experience is as precious and as important to me as anyone staying the other side of the road paying anything from five to £15,000 a night Yeah, I want them to go away with just as much a comfortable experience and just enough experience where they can walk away and go that was that was magical. Yeah, I stayed at this place and it was fantastic because, um, and that's 
by far and away the most important thing. Everyone should be treated exactly the same. And, you know, whilst many GMs will roll their eyes at this point when listening to any kind of podcast like this, um, everyone should be treated the same. And I think you have to instill that in your team all the way through. Yeah. You know, jumping to attention when a Bentley or a Rolls Royce pulls up outside the front door and the Louis Vuitton gets put on the pavement out the back of the car, you never know who that person is turning up in a black cab in their running shoes with a Tesco's bag, etc., etc. As I've seen to my detriment for other hoteliers in the past, yeah. you never know who that person's going to be nowadays. Well, and the thing is, is that Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who've saved up for a long time, you know, they're generally probably, and I'm making a sweeping statement here, is that that experience means more to them Absolutely. than the person who's just yeah, paid £1,000 a night and can afford it. I agree it. with you. And the person paying £1,000 or £2,000 or £4,000 a night, as a business, they're not going to write on TripAdvisor. Mm. They're not going to write on their review site. You know, Sally Princes don't sit there no. on, book, <laughs> on Booking.com review sites giving you feedback. Whereas, you know... I'd love if it did, though. That but, would, it would be great. I'd love yeah. to read some of those. Yeah. Um, and it was a unique situation because these kind of people would tip tip the butlers at the time with a Rolex after staying for two or three days and thank you very much here is it yeah um so it was you know it's all very rewarding all the way around but you've got to understand the level and quality of service that should be given to all and not hone and focus your attention just on what we would potentially term those high rollers yeah um, it's about the longer bigger picture yeah. So absolutely. yeah. So so Taj was an incredible experience for me having a Michelin star restaurant on site with Quillon coming over here. It was my first foray into South Kensington because Bombay Brasserie, which is behind the Bailey's Hotel over here in South Kent, is obviously part of the Taj Empire. Yeah. Um, so coming over here, doing dinners over here, I didn't even know guys. that. Yeah. For for since it's been there. And I had, well, I had it was one of the first Indian restaurants I came to in London when I moved here because of its reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd had an amazing experience there. So at the time, it, when I was at Taj, it was a group chef looking after both. Right. We'd look after Quillon. Well, there we are. Maybe there's a school day. So yeah, it's um, it's been intrinsically linked. And, you know, we went in there a few weeks ago. Crazy to see some of the waiters still there 10, 12 years right. later looking after the tables. But, you know, as, as is the failing with people in the UK, when you come from India... Being a waiter can be a vocation mm. as long as people are looked after and rewarded appropriately. Yeah, being a waiter in Europe or a barman in Europe can be a vocation. Our single biggest issue in the UK is that has never been a priority of an education piece at any level to no. people. No, I know, um, and that is why all of us, every single one of us, are in the same situation we are right now. Oh, fighting absolutely, for chefs fighting for front of house staff. And as I'm fully aware from speaking to a number of GMs on a regular basis, the joke of attempting to find a commie chef and a housekeeper, which will be the detriment of our business moving forward for certainly months and months to come because of the work that's not been put in in the past at grassroots level. Yeah. Well, that's why this humble little show exists, is to set the record straight. Well, that's one of the reasons it exists. But the... um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. And don't even get me on the high horse that's just outside the door at the moment for me to jump on because it's it's been such a... As somebody who operates, I suppose, on the fringes of the, the industry and I get to see a lot of businesses and a lot of different ways and means of doing ultimately the same thing, which is deliver a, a, an excellent hospitality product mm-hmm. and service. There are so many companies that, that do amazing work. There are still far too many companies that 
that don't do things correctly when it comes to looking after the people. Mm. So we we have to we have to change that, and that has to come from ownership. That has to be a willingness for the owners to spend a little bit more money on investing their in their people. I was actually listening to uh, a podcast yesterday. I do listen to other podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, a di- the Diary of a CEO with Stephen mm. Bartlett, and they had the interview with the Brewdog CEO. Yeah. Now I've had um, Dave McDowell on the um, on the show very early on, way before any of the allegations uh, happened against that business. We have to be able to hold people to account, but we've also got to give them a chance to change. It certainly feels on the out from the outside looking in that that's a company that has taken on board the feedback that they had and are trying to do something about it. Mm-hmm realizing that they're not perfect realizing they have made mistakes and that's half the battle and that comes from the owner and if he's if he backs up his words with action then we've saved the company by kind of calling them out so yeah that's my high horse i'm, I'm no, conscious I, that i, I always I, go on a rant when no, it comes I, to this i completely agree with you i think the way in which we treat people can be can be viewed by many as dealing with things that will only live in people's minds for a short period of time but i think there were certainly one in particular but a few of our a few of our hospitality partners and businesses in london one chain in particular who dealt with covid incredibly poorly and when many of businesses and it was fantastic to see so many businesses stepping up to support their team there are a couple of names that really have stood out and i don't think it's going to be a 12 month fix for them mm-hmm. with healing that reputation yeah i think that's going to be a longer term fix and people will remember for a lengthy period to come that they were dealt a certain way i think also there's there needs to be people following a trend off the back of covid um, you know people have come back in they're looking for a better quality life balance um, they're looking for they're looking for better pay and there is what many people have compared us to you know we always get asked the question um, what do you do here and you know I, I explain it and they say oh so you're similar to whatever set group of private members clubs they compare us to which isn't what we do here yeah and I, I, I don't I don't think certain private members clubs out there are treating their teams in the right way from a pay and a respect and a responsibility level either. Yeah. And I think that's testament to the amount of applications that we've received. And <laughs> you know, when we when we started the from group, certain from certain certain lives, places, which yeah. will continue to remain nameless. <laughs> but when we launched our when we launched our recruitment phase in January of this year, and I I put on a Monday morning my entire HOD structure on Caterer, hopefully free plug and free credits there. Um, <laughs> I put my entire... Um, They're not sponsoring the show I yet. <laughs> I put my entire management team, all the roles that I was looking for, up on Caterer on a Monday morning. And within seven days, we received something in the region of 4,500 applications for those management roles. Right. It was eye-opening to see how many people post-COVID were looking to leave very very well-known brands that are that are based mainstream in london Mm. and it it was it was eye-opening because these were brands that sort of five six years ago i had aspired i thought to myself gosh that's the type of company i would want to work for yeah but going through the interview process through january and february meeting a lot of the managers from these businesses and identifying you know the reasons why they were looking for a move 
it's really opened my eyes into how people haven't necessarily look after their team members yeah. off the back of COVID when people are trying to get back to normal and trying to regain their lives that they had pre-COVID. And actually, if you think about it, it's a simple human approach. It's not actually about the brand that you are. It's about how you make people feel. Yeah. And that's the same as if you're inviting guests into your establishment or whether you're inviting a team member into your establishment to come and spend their time with you. How you make them feel is how they will remember your business. Absolutely. Whether you have the most you know, amazing luxury brand mm-hmm. or whether your entry-level budget, it doesn't really matter. It's how they are made to feel when they're there. Yeah. But anyway, so. that's the ranty bit. Over with. That's our. That's our. Putting, <laughs> For now, anyway, putting people to right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Back to the story. So you. Yeah. So you I was. Were, I was a Taj, and, and we'll cut it short. The role that you came to talk to me about, I didn't go anywhere with yeah. because it wasn't the right thing for me, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So I stayed there until I was approached by another headhunter who said to me, um, "I don't know if you are up for it, but there's a little countryside hotel." about 100 yards from where I live back in Hayes, in Surrey. Um, this is 100 yards from where he lived, not where I was living. Oh, okay, time. Right. I was living down towards Brighton, um, but he lived in Surrey. And he said to me, look, it's 100 yards away from where I actually live my house. I can see the property. It's a little country club in Surrey. You know, they're looking for a GM. It's 34, 35 bed, but there's a real significant investment coming in behind, you know, updating and refurbishing the spa, opening more bedrooms, converting stable blocks into bedrooms and all that kind of thing. And I thought, well... Country house is one thing that I haven't got on my CV. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Um, let's tick that box. It's my first GM role. Let's go take advantage of it. So that's 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 where literally where I went to. We went through a very short two-stage interview process. And I remember the owner in the interview stage, um, an older gentleman who was a solicitor in London. Um, I didn't have anything really to do with the business. And I remember walking into the interview with him. And after a very brief conversation, he pulled out a calculator and a P&L, and he put it on the table in front of me, and he said to me, here's a calculator, here's the P&L for the last two months. And I said, right. And he looked at me and he said, I want you to tell me what my food GP was. <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, I'm not sure why you're giving me the calculator. And he said, why? And I said, because my briefly skimming through that I can see on line 17, it already says your food GP is 27%. So I'm not really sure what the calculator's for. He said, he said, 27%. You remember yeah, those days? Those days. <laughs> he said to me, well, that was the first test you've passed that you don't need the calculator. <laughs> and that was literally part of my interview process. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I stayed there for some time. I lived on site. Uh, it was great. You know, we, we drove the restaurant to three rosette standard. I brought in a fantastic chef, refurbished. Not Gary, was it? It wasn't Gary. No, no, no. no. But Gary does appear again before we okay, come into right. the other house. So bear with. Um, yeah. So I, we did everything, you know, excavated the lake um, so that there was an island in the middle. So a helicopter could land on it for a wedding, all the kind of random stuff. Why life? Um, but it was, it was great. It was exciting. And then, um, and then the owners uh, put the property up for sale and it was purchased by Asian investors who had the intention of converting the entire site into older residential care. Ah, um, okay. Slightly was, different direction. I, I was asked to stay, but I didn't feel it was the direction that I wanted for my career. 
Um, you would have ticked off another box. I would. Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's another box, but I've never had a bedpan need on my CV ever and had no intention for it to be. So I, um, I applied for a few roles. I thought, no, I need to get back into London. And I ended up very fortunately um, going in as the hotel manager for the opening Conrad London St. James. Yep. Um, and obviously I knew the area because the Conrad is sort of 300 yards away from Taj. The whole St. James's Park of course, side yeah. of town I really, really liked. Um, so I knew the area, I knew the product because I could see it being built. You know, I'd, I'd come out to St. James's Park Station and whilst I was at Taj, I knew that they were breaking ground and going through that process. It started as a, an intercon, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah. So it opened as an intercon for about eight weeks and the GM that I was going to work for at the time was just finishing his notice period at the Jamiroquan Tower. So I did my interview there with him and went through the process and went in um, and and started sort of two, three weeks after he did to the degree that, you know, they were still checking in on ISG headed notepaper and yet Hilton was blazoned above the door and I thought to myself, Oh my god, this my god. has been a this has been a really blunt changeover process. Mm. There were no processes and procedures for Hilton honours and that kind of thing implemented completely. Right. Um, and obviously coming from a background where I'd done Hilton down in Brighton, you know, it, it was easy to tick a lot more of the um, of the policies and procedures documents that many people would have struggled to tick had not had some background with Hilton yeah so it was great it was a superb experience it was great to be able to you know see how the rate can really be grown on a product of 350 bedrooms I ended up working with an incredible lady who came in as the GM after a very short time of, of me being there um, as her hotel manager and she um, Beverly. Will, will, Beverly Payne will always be the most incredible mentor and woman that I can ever possibly talk about. I'm, I'm going to say something outlandish. She is nuts. But I mean that in the most endearing way. I uh, was lucky enough to sit next to her at uh, some function last year. I was close to tears of laughter for the whole time. She's just a, a really, really dynamic you know, personality. The great thing about working at Conrad, and I look back at it so fondly because I met whilst working there two women two really strong women in our industry who have helped shaped businesses that I, I've seen and been part of, who will I will always not just view as friends, but absolute mentors and guides for at any point of my career. Yeah. Um, so Beverly obviously was the GM at the time and a lady called Gemma Meal, um, who was the people director for Splendid Hospitality. She 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 you know, she went on to work at Gaucho and then she's moved on to another fantastic role very recently. But she she had a whole different outlook on how people should be looked after and it was an outlook that I really understood mm. and, and empathised with. Um, and she really helped me mould how I, moving into a bigger GM role, would want to be viewed as a GM yeah. um, and to be totally in touch on every level and never... You know, people say don't have an open door policy, but I literally in my next role had the door removed from my office. So that's another story. Um, and so, yeah, so that that was a great experience. You know, working working for a quality luxury product in the centre of London, seeing the volume of American tourism come through um, with the power of things like the Hilton Honors app, and and it was a great experience being right there for you know New Year's Eve fireworks from Westminster be able to walk 100 yards up and watch that so it was it was a fantastic experience to be back into London and I I thoroughly enjoyed it but I knew also after two three years with Beverly that she wasn't going to be going anywhere in the near future yeah I knew they were about to sell the property and it would no longer be a franchise it would go back into the Hilton managed model and all of a sudden 
I knew from my perspective that my role and as a person, I would suddenly become a slightly smaller fish in an entirely large, huge, enormous sea that is Hilton. Yeah, ocean. Um, and I was very aware through other people in the business that preference would always be given to those people that had worked with Hilton for a longer period of time before being moved into a GM role again. And I thought, I, I, I don't want to sit on my hands now. So I took a consultancy role out in Cambridge for a short period of time, which is fantastic, working for a company that was packaging up for sale to another company. Um, and it was the right thing to do because it allowed me a lot of time to consider where I wanted to be, who I wanted to work for in the future. Yep. Um, and I remember Beverly saying, you know, don't leave, just stay here and do the recruitment process and do whatever you want. And I thought, no, I, I want I want to be able to give Comrade my full attention. Whereas if I take a consultancy role, it allows me the time to do that fixed role for six months and still go through the recruitment process for something else. But also taking the change of scenery is actually something from a psychological perspective that, that it snaps you into a place where yeah. you're, you know, you're, you've changed things. Yeah. And, so, you take, and you take the recruitment piece of finding something the next step much more seriously than if you're sat in a very comfortable role and, yeah. and you know essentially yeah, my do role, I want that well yeah, my role yeah my role at Comrade had been comfortable because I'd pipeline built behind me I already had someone snapping at my heels to take my job everyone below me was in very very streamlined pipelines where if they moved up everything was prepared behind them through assistant managers and supervisors etc hmm. um, and I suddenly found myself and and I remember making the decision, quite snap decision on the morning of I have to break the trend. I found myself spending an hour and a half plumping cushions and tying curtains back because everything else was pretty seamless. And I just thought, now's the time. I need to start that that look. Yeah. And so, you know, Beverly It's not to me, underplay plumping cushions. Not at all. You know, as we can see here, it's important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I remember we had, I had some really good conversations with Beverly and she gave me some amazing advice on what she thought I should and shouldn't do. And essentially, um, <laughs> for the next big role I took, I mistakenly didn't listen to some of the advice that some people had given me about the specific company I went to work for. Okay. And I went, uh, I went off to a property and I, I chose the property and I agreed to the role that I went into because it was the only five-star property in an entire group. And I went off to the Randolph in Oxford. I worked for the most incredible area director, a gentleman called Stephen Boxall, yeah. who previously was at the Ritz. The famous. Um, I mean, yeah, absolutely a human dynamo. And I got something every day out of working for him. And I'm, you know, it was sad to say it was such a short period of time before he... He moved on from McDonald Hotels and I realised the moment he'd gone how very different things were um, and started the process quite early on with orchestrating my departure. But I will say that, you know, the, the full year that I did out at Oxford, it was the most profitable year for that property um, in its in excess of 150 year trading history. So I walked away from it knowing that we'd created something very, very special that would go down as a very significant figure. Yeah. Um, and I walked away from that very comfortably, both from a work perspective and from a financial perspective. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, I think that's, it's interesting though, because, you know, the Randolph's a very famous property. Yeah. You know, and for all intents and purposes, because you're still, I suppose, quite green as a GM. Mm-hmm. It's a great role it was in principle to a get. Fantastic role to have a to have a you know a hundred and seventy five bedroom five star property as your second GM role effectively mm. was was fantastic for me. Um, and it was it was very much kudos to Stephen who 
when I went through the interview process, he said, you know, you're the most junior person that's, that's applied, but I really wanted to see you because there was just something about some of the conversations we've had. And I appreciate him very much giving me the chance. And I, I think it paid dividends, so to speak. Yeah. And I yeah, literally, I, yeah. I, literally um, <laughs> I was, I was very, very grateful. And it, and it gave me a stepping stone to really understand how to manage upwards on a level that I'd never had to do before. Yeah. Working for possibly what the most demanding owners I've ever experienced in the business. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, it, it was a good stepping stone. It's not anywhere that I would have been able to tolerate for a long period of time because I think, again, we've talked a little bit about how people are treated. Um, and we've talked a little bit about how um, I think people should be treated in the industry in particular. And a, a conscious effort should be made to understand people's mental well-being. Mm. Um, and there was clearly no understanding or appreciation of that in the slightest. Right. Um, so it was the right it was the right time for me to step away from it and consider how I was going to move back into London again, um, which I missed massively. Yeah, that um, actually also demonstrates that from a culture perspective, that you take one key thing out of that culture that's been created, mm-hmm. and the culture changes forever. Completely, yeah. and you can't ever get that back. It doesn't matter yeah. who you bring in next into that role; the the culture will never be the same. Totally, and 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 I think you know I I. I was in a situation where I thought to myself, gosh, these other people that are sustaining this kind of management must be, you know, really kind of fixed into it and, and in for the long haul and, and must have the most strong backbones ever, so to speak. Mm. And then I, I realised the moment I resigned and the amount of uh, GMs that reached out to me in that business and said, oh my God, I wish we could find a way out as well. Right. Um, and it really opened my eyes. You know, I spoke to more of them. Um, it's very sad. Actually, I spoke to it? more of them in the 30 days after my resignation than I had done in the entire time I'd been working for the company. Mm. And and it, it's, it says a lot, but we'll draw a line under that. Yeah, well, as you did. As I did, very much. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I came um, I came back to living sort of just outside of Brighton. I thought to myself, right, I, I, have, to, I have to get back into London. It's what I miss. And I'd applied for a couple of roles whilst I was still at Conrad going through that process. And one of the roles I'd applied for was um, opening GM of the Mandrake. Yep. And I'd gone through a process and I hadn't been successful at the time. And then my phone rang and it was in, I think, May of that year. And I'd finished my notice period and I'd, I'd left Oxford and I was back living down south. And I was going through the recruitment process. And I was in no real rush because I thought to myself, this has got to be absolutely the right step for me back into London. And I, my phone rang. I looked at it and I thought, I don't know that number. And it was a Miami number. And I asked the phone and this voice said, um, you might not remember me, but we met a couple of years ago when we were looking at the owner, when we were looking at the opening GM role of the Mandrake. And it was the owner. And I said to him, oh my God, um, great to hear from you. And he said, I'd, I'm going back into London. I'd love to catch up for a coffee, a lunch, whatever. And I said, yeah, no, great. And I put the phone down and I'm thinking to myself, must be opening another property. Um, and I knew that was a possibility for the future and I thought it must be opening another property or something else internationally I don't know I'll have a chat with him and I thought when I interviewed him he was a really likeable chap and I thought you know if our paths ever crossed I'd be grateful Yeah. and then yeah 18 months two years later this phone call came um, and uh, we met 40 hours later at the Sanderson for lunch of course uh, of course just around the corner and he said to me look I'll cut it long and short we went through an interview process it was between you and one other guy and it wasn't until now that I realised that it should have been you I made the mistake so how do you feel about coming and fixing that mistake 
And I said to him, I said, wow, okay, well, um, what do you think has gone wrong, first of all? He said, I don't really know. I Good don't, question to ask. I, d- I don't really know. Um, I, I, I don't know anything about the industry. It's not how I want it. I, uh, we're having to obviously, you know, we're having to spend a lot of money to keep it, it running. Uh, it's nowhere near as profitable as we wanted it to be. So I said to him, okay, fine, let's, let's have a further conversation. Uh, and we met up. No, we spoke a couple of days later. And we went through and I had a look at P&Ls and I identified some really glaring... Did he give you a calculator? He didn't need to give me a calculator, <laughs> but there were some glaring issues that didn't require a calculator. Good cost, not um, 27. And I, uh, and, I, and I started two weeks later. The Mandrake was what can only be described as an absolute whirlwind roller coaster of fantasy, emotion, <laughs> the, most in, the most incredible property... I've ever had the pleasure of staying in, working in, visiting in in central London. Rami Fustock is the most incredible visionary for creating a property that is literally what's in his mind and putting it into practice. Right. It is the most incredible property. And if I if I would urge anybody, if you've never been to see the Mandrake, go and see it. It's stunning. Because it is seriously special from a design perspective, an aesthetic perspective, an events perspective. Everything to do with that business is look and feel is next level. But I was, I was as a GM in a property of that size, working way more than I had ever anticipated. It was one of the smallest properties that I've ever experienced and ever had to work in. But yet I was doing... 90 100 hour weeks consistently eight nine o'clock in the morning till 2 3 a.m the following morning because it does have a reputation of being a bit of a party hotel mm. and as a gm that, that wants to make sure their team is looked after i found myself always there on a thursday friday saturday night till 2 a.m 3 a.m the following morning because I always wanted to make sure my team were okay. I always wanted to make sure my team were looked after. And I didn't want them to deal with anything after dark that I wouldn't necessarily have dealt with myself firsthand. Yeah. And there were more and more events happening that I, I started to find questionable that were directly affecting how the business was operated and um, the overall performance financially of the business. And that was why I made the decision of, you know, I... I want to get back into something that I really love, something that I can make a mark on. Because whilst I totally respected his vision and I love the property, the ability to make a difference to it was a little constrained because as an owner, he was in it every single day. Right. And there was only ever going to be one way of doing every part of the operation. And that wasn't my way. That wasn't the ability for me to affect that and direct that as much as I would have wanted to. You know, we look back to when I was out in the countryside and I was totally left alone. Design the bedrooms how you want. Refurbish the spa how you want. Set whatever rates you want. Sell it however you want to. Suddenly coming to a situation where I was to a certain degree tied with one hand behind my back. It takes a certain kind of GM to want to work in an environment where they don't necessarily have the fluid ability to make a difference. Yeah. Um, and whilst I could make staffing changes, which is what brought the costs in line, what occurs in the building and what events we do and don't take wasn't within my remit, which I started to question quite early on in the in the beginning. So I then went through a process where as I resigned and as we went through my departure, this horrendous thing happened called covid 
What was, what's that? This blip that occurred for the last two, three oh, yeah, years. Yeah, anomaly. And I'd um, I'd left, um, and I suddenly thought to myself, do you know what? After the last two experiences in hospitality, working for private owners, and and not in my opinion, being able to do the best that I could possibly do in my role, despite both businesses being very profitable. And I remember friends of mine saying, but you made one business that wasn't profitable at all profitable and you created the highest net profit in the other business. Surely that's exactly what your role is. But but being able to live and enjoy the people that I'm working with and around and seeing the best come from them is also surely part of my role. And mm. I felt that I felt that I wasn't able to develop and enhance and give my team what they wanted as much as I potentially could have done if I'd had the remit and the rain to be able to do that. So I thought, you know what? I think I'm done with hotels. I think I'm going to go in a different direction. Really? Yeah, I I went through a phase where COVID... I'm leaning forward, Simon. (laughs) After the first three, six months of COVID, I thought to myself, no, I'm done with this. Right. You know, we'd done quite well on a property purchase in North North London. And I thought to myself, it's time to sell it up. It's time to, to let it go. It's time to find what was my 20-year goal. You know, it's fine to find that Jeep business in the south of France and go and get a veg patch and have six, seven bedrooms at 80 euros a night and get a couple of goats and look at the Pyrenees from the south of France. And that was it. That was the decision made. I had the property valued. We started engaging with different estate agents and COVID was still to a certain certain degree. I think we were in lockdown two or three at that stage. So there wasn't, I couldn't travel to go and view property. Mm. And then in, um, in July last year, we were able to travel and we started looking at stuff overseas. And then we took a couple of week holiday and, we spent two weeks just literally laying on the beach in Mallorca because everybody had been locked away by 18 months, two years at that point. I needed to do something different. I think as, um, as many, hol- many people did. The holiday was the best thing because I thought, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. I'm done with hospitality. I came back to, wow. the, UK, I came back to the UK in August and uh, a really good friend of mine said to me, there is something very special opening that I think you should consider being part of. And I said, well, if it's hotels, I'm not done. And she said, well, it's not hotels exactly, but I think you should explore it. And I said, no, I, I, it's really not something. And she said, look, Simon, I've known you well enough. I know I'm, I'm doing some support for them on the PR function. There is a woman who's running it as the founder. I just want you to have a coffee with her. And I said, fine, okay, I'll have a coffee. Just to shut them up. Yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of a, I've known you long enough, I'll have a coffee, just just to put it to bed, so to speak. And then 48 hours later, I met with this lady, and within, and I kid you not, within five minutes of sitting down, I knew I was going to work for her. There was no question about it. Right. The house in France was gone, the veg patch was on hold, I was absolutely going to work for this person. And for the third time... In my career, I, I'd met another really incredible female who really knew where things were going. But in this instance, had the absolute power and ability to craft and create a brand, the likes of which the globe has never seen before. And consequently, I found myself in the role of general manager at the other house. Right. I can't see why that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, coming into something that's it's not a hotel. People say, well, it's not a hotel, but you can stay there for one night. Yes, you can. 
but you can also stay here for two years. You can also go onto the website, get a quote for 24 months and just check in. You know, every every single club flat as you're sat in now is studio style. So it has kitchenette, fridge, freezer, hob, etc. So the, the essence is, why would you Airbnb it anymore when we exist? Why would you spend three months living in a, an Airbnb and you don't know whether it's been cleaned appropriately? You know, you haven't got any services. Whereas here, you know, you've got someone that's going to say hello to you every morning. All your bills are taken care of. You've got 24-hour security. You've got pool, gym, so you're not having to pay external gym fees. You know, sauna, steam room, private members' lounges with the most incredible mixologists. And so that was it. Decision was made. And, and here I am. And I arrived. Um, I started working in September of last year. Um, the property was well into the build phase. Um and as you can see, having had a brief walk around, we've got two or three floors open now and there's still another three or four floors under construction. Mm. But the public areas are open and we're operating in essence. But it took me into a business for the first time in my career where there really was a blank canvas. The ability to make a difference and sculpt what we will do in the future here is second to none that I've ever been aware of. Having Arriving in a business that had already bought property two. And our, right. Covent, our Covent Garden site already purchased. You know, within six months, property three has now been purchased. You know, we're on final stages with potentially property four and property five. Right. This like... is the most exciting and fastest growing hospitality business, certainly in London at the moment. Mm. With international exposure looking at in Miami, New York, Dubai, Singapore, Shanghai. When you've got that kind of visionary leading you from the front... And to have the incredible backing from someone like APG, one of the largest pension funds in the world that really believes in the property and the product and the brand that you're putting together, it's it's so exciting. So much so, I I didn't want to do it on my own. So, you know, whilst we've talked about the recruitment process of how we looked at managers and assistant managers, 16, 17 HODs and managers from a commercial perspective, director of sales, director of business development, right the way through to... Gary, head chef, and my director of ops, of which 75% of my senior management team have all worked with me in the past. And I was able to handpick into all of the management roles people that I wanted. People over the last 10 years who've stood out and I've thought, at some stage I'm going to work with them again. At some stage I'm going to work with him again, her again, in that role and this role. And being able to pull them together from... People that I work with at Conrad, people I work with at the Randolph, people that I work with outside, people that I work with in Bermuda, people I work with in at Taj, and people that I worked with at the Mandrake, mm. and bring them all together under one roof. I have what can only be described in my eyes as an absolute dream team now. A team that I know will grow with the business. Because in essence, all of these roles that we're recruiting, these people will grow into group roles. So my you know, yeah, my, my, director, taken my, care of. my director of sales has to become a group director of sales because yeah. I've already got property too. My director of business development has to has to be my commercial director for the group. And so all of the roles will grow with the business. And it was really important that I put people into it, into these roles that weren't just capable, but had the scope, the ability and the vision to grow as our business grows. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very exciting. And I think exciting from a humanistic perspective as well is that this place has literally saved you from leaving the industry very much so um yeah Yeah. i mean if the other house hadn't existed i would probably be in france right now sweating running and changing beds and probably loving it but 
Yeah. But not living in the way that I'm living at the moment, which is seat of the pan excite seat of the pants excitement. Never know what's going to change on a day to day basis, and seeing the ability to sculpt a business literally occurring on a daily basis actually how do you do this well we've always done it this way well the industry's always done it that way the hotel industry doesn't mean we have to you know one of the prime examples was when i came in right at the beginning someone said to me oh you know the reception team and i said let's not call them receptionists and again our ceo she said no let's look in another direction let's call them house jacks because they're jacks of all trade they're not just going to do one role and so when we recruited into our front of house team you know, on day one, people walk in with a preconceived idea of it's my day one as a house jack, which essentially is a guest relations team member or manager. So it's my day one. I'm, I'm obviously going to get trained how to check people in and the systems and how to check people out. And no, actually, on day one, you're going to spend the next 72 hours learning to be the most incredible barista because you need to have the ability to go and cross support other departments. I don't want to be in a situation like so many hotels have where the only support that can be given by the duty manager to the food and beverage team on a Sunday morning where they're getting slammed is I'll just clear tables and walk food out because that's in essence all they've ever been trained to do. Yeah. Because there isn't the, you know, people always say to me, there's no time when you're doing a guest relations manager shift and job. When do you have the time to take three or four days out just train on coffee you know on latte art on cappuccino art that kind of thing yeah whereas here that was an active decision as part of the recruitment process and the training and induction process from the beginning do something completely differently yeah so everything we've done has been a little bit different the way we've recruited people the way we've brought people into the business but in essence it has to be different because the business we're operating is a bit different where my average length of stay is you know potentially three months You've got to be able to build a rapport and, and communicate with people on a level that isn't always necessary from a transient hotel perspective. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's part of me that wishes you had left the industry and I would have been visiting you in your jeet. Um, but that's fine. All in good time. All in good time. I think it sounds like you've got a lot to do here. And also, I think critically, it does feel and forgive the ridiculous pun but it does feel like you've found your other house you know and that's that's part of the battle in in forming a career right is finding a place where you feel like you're where you're meant to be and i've i've loved jobs that i've had in the past and uh, you know working with someone like beverly and Gemma, and you know working for stephen box i've loved working for those people never before though have i been so intrinsically involved in actually sculpting a brand you know, I remember what, 15, 20 years ago when people said, there's this thing now that exists called luxury lifestyle hotel hotels. Yeah. And we all at the time thought, what the hell is that? Well, there's now another what the hell is that? And that's the other house. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, what a hell of a journey so far. In many ways, it feels like all roads led here in the end, especially when you, you very, very nicely put it that, you know, all of these different people that you've worked with at very different times and very different properties, but actually you see something in the human that you connect with and they kind of get what you're trying to achieve. And that's half the battle. You bring all these people together and sparks can fly and amazing things can happen. And that sounds like exactly what you're up to here. Yeah, I mean, to be able to have a management team where so many of these guys have worked with me before, 
the important thing was seeing that they would gel with each other. So we've done a lot over the last six months. There's been a lot of off-site development and training and interaction. Yes, I've seen your and, uh, uh, yeah, Instagram and LinkedIn. Keeps, everyone keeps on saying, <laughs> I, I, I follow your Instagram. You guys literally do nothing but party. Yeah. But you know what? Being out of a work environment, whether it's in the park or at a bowling alley or when you know we hired a whole pub, and took everybody to the pub for the evening and took over the whole pub. Being able to do stuff like that when you don't also have the business to operate because yeah. you're doing a new opening, you have to take advantage of it. It's for completely sure. priceless. Yeah, absolutely. Pay dividends in the end. Uh, final question before I let you get on your way. What three reasons would you give to somebody to come and join hospitality? Especially as somebody who nearly left hospitality <laughs> I'm very interested in your answer. So right from the beginning, still, I believe that there's no other industry that gives you the chance to meet such a wide range of people on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, before you arrived today, I, I, I stood in the lobby as I will do many, many days. And I greeted a chap checking in from Thailand who's here for 150 nights. And the reason he's coming to stay in the UK and the reason why he's coming to work over here, we talked about that. You know, I, I, I spoke to a lady that's that's here for medical reasons and she's, you know, she's only got months to live, but she wants to come and spend it somewhere comfortable. Wow. Um, being able to learn about people and then make a difference to their stay and tailor make what they do. You know, what other industry can you do that in? People say, you know, you can you can sell someone a car and tailor make it. Yeah, fine, it's a car. They're still going to get rid of it again. You're staying in a property. Their day to day experience is something that you need to be able to directly affect. Yeah. In the way in which they will appreciate it. So the diversity of people that you'll experience is, is always going to be a big pull. Despite my reasons for coming back from Bermuda, working in our industry really allows you the option to travel. And I would urge anybody that hasn't taken the opportunity of going abroad through the hotel industry to take advantage of it. Can I agree you more? Know, it's the big thing of when you work with huge companies like Hilton or Marriott, and both of which I've been fortunate to be part of, is, is taking advantage of that staff program understanding how you can move within not just for vacations and getting great room rates but also move and be able to stay elsewhere from a works perspective whether it be a short or long period of time yeah and i think the final thing is that there is a real misconception that you can't make any money in our industry and stay in it for too long and if you choose the right employer you'll get paid appropriately you know our starting wage here for front desk is in excess of 30,000. And I remember sort of five, six years ago, people saying, you know, you could never pay that kind of money for a receptionist or anything like that. But there's an opportunity now to get into our industry, choose the right company that's going to pay the right kind of money and actually be able to have a life with it as well. Mm. Here, here. Could not agree more. If people want to get a hold of you, or learn about the other house, what's the best method for them to Either do way, that? Either way, very welcome to email me, simon at otherhouse.com, or have a hunt for me on Instagram, which is just simply Simon James Drake. Fantastic. Mr. Drake, it's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for showing me around as well, and uh, wish you all the very best with thank the next so part of the journey. Indeed. Thanks for coming to see me face to face. My absolute pleasure. Excellent, thank you. Take care. And there we have it, a wonderfully formed career so far from Simon, showing that getting some variety in your experience can really help you as you climb the ladder. I wish him and the team at the other house every success. I'll be back again next Wednesday at 8pm telling more stories from the awesome humans within hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.